right? Jim Putnam, pilot episode, meet me in Damascus. Um, you know, I sit here and you're my pastor. People need to know that because uh, that's, a, that's a special relationship. Uh, but I'm sitting here with a guy who runs a church with how many members does Real Life have now? Our average attendance is around 7,000. So, I, you know, our, our membership is, um, you know, a much larger number. Yeah. But our average attendance is around 7,000. Okay. So I'm sitting here with a guy, average attendance, 7,000. You have 400 leaders here today. Yep. You have helped develop churches around the country and you help develop churches around the world. So people think about Jim Putnam, they read your books, they know, you know, published author, uh, and they look at you and say, okay, super successful Christian guy. Um, I don't know that they know the whole story because I'm also looking at a guy who shared with me alcoholism, battles with sin. And I will tell you, because I've never told you this, first time I came to real life, like first three weeks, I came alone. You know that. You said, who's this weirdo with the word hat? sitting back all the security was high in me. And, um, I didn't know if I dug it here until I saw all the pastors led by you share their personal struggles. And that was what, that was the piece I took home to friends and said, I'm going to go to this church. Um, because I felt that was real life. So you, when we talk about this Damascus moments in life, which is what we're talking about here, can you get down to one moment where there was time where just God knocked in the door. Cause I know that your story is a long story, Jim. It's a great story. But if you were to reflect on your life, was there a time God came along and said, Hey, Jim Putnam, you need to come back home. Well, I, I first got to the place, you know, growing up in the church and through my own rebellion and everything that I've experienced, I came to the place where I didn't believe in God. And so my journey was, um, my parents who I had abused and, and misused and embarrassed and humiliated, uh, never gave up on me because of what Jesus had done in their life. And because, you know, I had pursued all these friends and all this stuff that I felt was better than, than where they had come from, I made the decision um, to, to pursue all that at their expense when all that didn't pan out and all those people didn't um, reciprocate, didn't, they weren't what I, what I thought they were, you know, when I'm in trouble, they're gone they're, or they're so messed up and pursuing their own stuff that they just keep going. And I'm, I got off the train and got left there. The people that I had abused the most were the ones that were still there. And because of that ongoing relationship that I had with them, that they pursued with me, I, no matter what I did to burn down the bridge, they wouldn't let it be burned down. I was able to say what I thought about God. You know, there wasn't one and they were they were able to say, no, there is. And this is why that led to a discussion. So when there is no God, okay, maybe there is. Then it led to, long story short, which God? Okay, it's the Christian God. Oh no, I'm totally screwed because after, after everything that I've done, there's no way I could be saved. Yeah. And then it was, okay, he'll save me. Okay, well, great, I want to be saved but I am not going to do the church thing. I'm not going to do the, the, um, be involved in this thing that I had run from. And then it was discipleship that says, wait a minute. I thought Jesus was going to be your savior and your Lord. What yeah. does he want you to do? And, and then it went, okay, well, I'll go to church, but I'll never, I mean, I basically I have three strikes against me. I could be saved. I'll go to church, but I can never be useful to God in any way because I'm a failure. 
to no, wait a minute, those failures, you're, you're a masterpiece created anew in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 2.10 says, for good works which God planned for you to do. He saved you from something for something, and he wants to use you. And, and so the discipleship process for me was pre-accepting Christ. There is a God, and how would I even know that? And that led, my dad didn't have all the answers, but he he he, he answered my questions. He he had the resources to answer my questions, point me to the questions, answer. And then, then he led me through this ongoing process of dead to saved to infant, child, young adult, spiritual parent, using that for the kingdom. So, um, you know, the Damascus Road experience was Paul, you know, a light was beamed on, on him and he went blind and God said, Jesus said, why are you persecuting me, Saul? And who are you, Lord? And and it led to God intervening in his life. And it, there's there's pieces of my story where, yeah, I was being discipled, but there were individual things that happened in my life. Uh, discussions personal inside of my own head or, or ex, you know, circumstances that brought me to my knees, not so that I could be punished and judged and shamed, and uh, but so that, that God could give me a new birth into something new. All of that happened in my personal walk with God, the scriptures and, and relationship with other believers in this discipleship process that led me to that place. So you talked about abusing your parents, right? People, we think of abusers as the parents. We don't think of him as the son. Yeah. So, um, that's, that's a, that's a big sentence, Jim, abusing my parents. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. I, I was the rebel who wanted to embarrass them or didn't care if I did. I knew that, you know, as a pastor, it is. It, it, you know, if I was last. Yeah. yeah. And I knew that, that this was shameful to him. Yeah. You know, I knew, you know, um. I knew that he, I was, because of my actions, it was leading to problems in his marriage, problems, even in his psyche, you know, I was, and I'm, I'm one of those people that when I decide to make mistakes, I make them big and bold. Right. And so, you know, embarrassing things. Yeah. And I'm really grateful that my dad, who was a first generation believer, had understood discipleship and been in, you know, and, and he didn't know what to do, but he had wise, godly people around him that helped him work through his own pain. He didn't have to be embarrassed or quit the ministry yeah. because he was a failure. Uh, you know, he knew, he was told, listen, you're going to do your best and your kid has to make his choice and we're going to walk you through that. And so my dad experienced um, the things that make the Christian life really life-giving rather than the legalism and accusation. He experienced life and it kept him going yeah. so that even though I had jumped off the rock and was trying to pull him into the rock, people were holding him fast so that when I came to my senses, he, I could have something to be pulled back to. Yeah. And it, of course, and it was people surrounding him and holding him on the rock in my mom, you know, together yeah. so that I couldn't pull him off and, and he could pull me too. That when the time came where I was finally willing to listen. Okay. I've shared with you things as my pastor that I've never shared on the podcast. I've shared with my podcast audience, my radio audience, radio audience that we went through a family journey uh, through, it started with adolescent mental health. And I'll tell you, uh, if anyone ever tells you your kid needs therapy and your family doesn't run away from them, right? right? Broken kid, broken family. Right. Um, but I've shared with you some, you know, some pretty 
you know, severe thoughts I put on myself about the Lord and being angry with me. And I think my mistakes were sort of long running mistakes, right? That, that kind of added up. And I looked back and said, oh, a series of mistakes. Um, and I've shared it with the audience and, and with you, you know, my journey of, of God believer, Bible reader, church attender, church money giver, uh, church liker, Jesus lover. But for me, like my Damascus moment um, is I shared with you on my knees, snot running down my nose outside of a church. I didn't feel worthy to go in, mm-hmm. sobbing in my best friend's arms. And I mean, ugly sobbing, snot running down my mm-hmm. nose. And that was the moment I became a Jesus needer, but I still wasn't ready. I still wasn't ready to fully submit. So I think about you and I picture you, the younger Jim, right? And you're a wrestling champion and you're a three-time All-American. And you are used to going out onto a mat six minutes unless there's an OT. Maybe there's less. Maybe you TF a guy, you stick a guy. I mean, you stuck people, you stuck battles. The last thing you would do on the mat, right, is submit. I don't care how tied up you are how bad a man you're wrestling. You're never going to submit. Probably, I mean, we don't tap out in that kind of wrestling, but you know what I'm saying. When did you submit? Because there is a difference between I am ready and you talked about, you know, your, your journey, but when did you submit to, to Jesus the Christ and say, you're my king and I can't do this without you? Well, because of the gospel, I, I was preached the true gospel. Right. Yeah. The, the, the fake gospel is God's got a wonderful plan for your life. Yeah. And, um, and all you, you know, you get, you know, hell insurance, but just go your way. And God's job is to bless you in your dream. Right. That's the false gospel. Yeah. The real gospel is Jesus is the son of the living God. This world has fallen. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We got there because we wouldn't submit to him in the garden and we haven't submitted to him. Yeah. And when you come to him to say, save me, you're also saying, lead me. Save me from my hell that I, that I'm, I have coming, but also save me from my personal leadership that has led me into the wrong places, right? Jesus, your Lord and your Savior. So when, when my, my dad shares with me the gospel, it was, Jim, have you had enough of being your own leader? He asked that. Oh, yeah. Have you had enough wow. of ruling your own life? He's the Christ. He's the son of the living God. He's the king of all heaven. We got here because we wouldn't listen to him. And now after the cross, we all know that every rule he ever gave was for our good. When he said in the garden, don't eat the fruit, he wasn't trying to limit our horizons. He'd say, listen, that will kill you. Trust me. I know you haven't seen death yet. You don't even know what death looks like because no one's died yet. But if you eat of it, you'll die. And so here comes the devil. You know, he's trying to keep you down. He won't die. You know, he, he lied. And, and then we get to experience in hindsight, who was right? Jesus was right. God was right in the garden. Yeah. And we've been listening to lies in the culture and to our own inner broken appetites and feelings for all of, the, of our life. And that led to a destination. So salvation isn't just salvation from hope, from hell. It's salvation from your own personal leadership uh, and submitting to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, if you want to be my de- disciple, you have to follow me. You have to deny yourself and take up your cross daily. And so many people have been told a false gospel, which is why they don't experience the life of Christ, the change in Christ. So, so we have to go, all right. So 
when I, when the gospel was presented to me that way, I had to go, it wasn't like an immediate decision. It was like, whoa, I had to count the costs. And for me, it was, my life was set. What I really wanted was to go to the Olympics. I was a, you know, I was a college All-American. I put my whole life in that and I had to go, all right, well, what if God doesn't want me to do that? What if that's my dream and not his? And then I had to go, well, wait a minute. My dream hasn't led to happiness. I'm an All-American, but winning doesn't fill the hole. No matter what success I get in this, it's not filling the hole. And, and so I had to go, all right, am I willing to go, Lord, this is what I like. I'd like you to lead me to the championship. And I'll give you glory. I'll give you honor. Yeah. I'll give you praise. And it's you, right? Yeah. And, you know, my, my dad was like, hey, Jim, God may lead you that way. God does lead some people that way, but he may not. When you follow him, he may lead you to a place you don't want to go. That's what he did with his disciples. They were like, who's the greatest? I want to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, right? And they're arguing about it. Jesus says, no, no, no. You're going to wash people's feet. You're, it's not what you think. And, and so I wrestled with this position. Now, at that time, I didn't know what God was going to ask me to do. It's not like I, he outlines the whole plan for you. But at the point, I'm like, what other choice do I have? I'm winning and still empty. I'm the best or one of the best, and I'm not happy, which is why I've got the drugs and the alcohol and the sex and all the other stuff, right? Are you willing to go, God, your way? And that was it. That took a little bit of time. And um, I had to wrestle through that. And then, thankfully, he's like, my, my, my dad knew discipleship. You know, he didn't ever win me in a sermon or music or singing, you know, just as I am the hymn 14 times till I emotionally make a decision. Yeah. He knew that it had taken work to get here and that his job was to walk me through this process of growing. So, you know, the way I go is I give my life to Jesus and the next, you know, I'm a senior, I'm a three-time college All-American and I get modern. And modern nucleus. Yes. And yeah. in wrestling, that's the worst because it doesn't matter what you know, if you don't have the air to do it. Yeah. And at the same time, you know, I've got this guy who walks up to me to church. And before that, I said, I'll never go to church. And, and, and he, and my dad was like, hmm, well, let me ask you a question. Is Jesus your Lord? Your dad said, is yeah. Jesus your Lord? Yeah. Is, does Jesus want you to go to church? Well, my church, you know, I didn't ask what you, your church is. What is his church? Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Yeah. And, you know, to back up a little bit, I, I remember saying when I first, you know, went through this, it's like, he's saying, um, uh, I said, well, I'll accept Jesus, but I'll never accept the church. He goes, well, you'll accept Jesus and you'll accept where he leads you. Yes. Okay. Well, he didn't say any more about it. Well, like three weeks later, he calls me Yeah. and he tells me, he says, Hey, I had something in the church that I'm leading that I want to talk to you about. I'm having a problem. And I, and my answer was kind of snide. I said, well, the problem is you're in the church. Get out of the church. <laughs> no, no, I want to bounce something off. Yeah. I don't know what to do. And he said, um, you know, there's this new family that came to the church and they're just exceptional. And I mean, you know, they're just so gifted. And he goes, but they've decided that they want to hang out with me, but they don't like mom. And I'm not sure what to do with that. Wow. And I was like, what? Because my mom is like this. She's amazing. My dad's irritating, but she's amazing. 
Like what? He goes, yeah, they want to go to dinner after church. They want to do stuff. They want me to hang out with them, but they don't really want to get to know mom or one or around. They kind of want me to leave her on the side. What should I do? And I said, are you crazy? What do you mean? What should you do? And my, remember, I'm a brand new believer. Yeah, I've been a pretty violent man. I'm like, well, I'll drive over there and we'll go have a little chat with these people, right? I was like, and he laughs. He goes, well, no, what do I do? I go, no, you're married. You don't get, they don't get you and not her. And he paused on the phone. Oh. And which meant that I, he had me in some way and I didn't know how. Yeah. He said, well, Jim, that's how Jesus feels about his bride, the church. You can't say you're going to take him and not his bride. Now, I didn't understand the bride language. I'm, bride, I'm not a bride. I'm a wrestler. I'm a man. Yeah. You know, and, he's, and I go, where does it say that? By then I come to believe the scripture. I just had no, no idea what it actually said about stuff. Yeah. And he's, and he gave me the verses. He said, I want you to read these verses and then call me back. And. And so I'm like, oh, yeah, I was busted by my own words. Yeah. I can't say I love Jesus and hate his church. Yeah. Yeah. But then I was like, but it's ugly and it's so nasty. And he goes like, no, no, it's not all ugly and all nasty. Yeah. Right. There's good churches. There's, but every church has people in it. Yeah. And so there's a problem. And then, um, as we started to talk about, I started going to church like, I hate this. He told me another story, you know, he's a story guy and he would always change the scenario. And this was another time, this time we're sitting in a restaurant, you know, and uh, cause he had come down to see me and he said, well, Jim, I want you to imagine that when we were, you know, I had four sisters and me when I was younger, he said, uh, let's imagine that, you know, I go to church early to get everything ready. And your mom's got these kids at our station wagon when you were growing up and she comes, she's trying to get these kids together, five kids in six years. So, you know, it's a poor mom, you know, doing this by herself. And she gets to church and she, she gets all the, some of the kids, the older kids get running out and she's trying to wrap ass all these kids as they're running to that. And, and, and mom steps out of the church, catches her dress on the door and rips her dress in the back. So her fanny's hanging out, but she doesn't even know it. And she's come walking into the church and she gets into the foyer of the church. And, and she says, he says, uh, I want you to imagine there that people see her dress is torn. And they start snickering and laughing and pointing, that's the pastor's wife. And they, or they don't say anything, yeah. you know, and you know, your mom kind of gets in and goes, I, I don't know what's going on. I don't know why people are looking at me. And she goes, he goes, uh, so Jim, let's say I'm the husband and I come walking in and I see my wife's dress is torn. She doesn't even know it. And I see the kids running all over and she's trying to figure that out. People are snickering, gossiping and laughing at her. How do I feel about those people? And I said, well, you. You probably want to destroy him. I mean, you're, yeah. you're like, angry. he goes, but what if one of the guys comes walking up to your mom, preserves and to preserve her dignity, whispers in her ear and says, Hey, Bobby, um, yes, yeah, here, let me watch the kids while you go figure it out. She takes off his coat, wraps it around her waist. So nobody sees it. She walks in there. She goes, and now let's say that you're watching and you see that. And how do you feel about that guy? And I'm like, Oh man, I love that guy. He goes, Jesus has his bride, the church, and she's torn her dress. And there are a bunch of people snickering and pointing at it and chastising it instead of going, that's his bride. And he brought me not to criticize or point out the holes, but to be a participant in serving and ministering Jesus by ministering to his church. That undid me. So you're talking about Damascus Road experiences. I had several experiences along in this relationship that had been built, juries that changed my thinking yeah. at different important places along the way.
Yeah. I look at uh, the Apostle Paul and so much of my reading um, has me really identifying with him. He's not the Apostle I thought I'd identify with, honestly. Um, but what I identify with him is the different worlds in which he lived, mm-hmm. right? You lived in a wrestling world. You lived in a, you know, an academic world. You have a degree in history, right? Yeah. yeah. I, you know, I, the only reason I got that is because I, 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 I know. I know. I didn't say you were an academic. Oh, okay, okay. Okay. I'm not calling you a name. Yeah. yeah that's okay. a name. I'm sure to call. No, I don't want to call you an academic. Let's not do that. Um, but I've lived in the entertainment world. I've lived in the tech world. I've lived in the political world. Um, and so in that way, I sort of identify with Paul. I like to go debate the faith right. with, with, you know, the smartest people in the world. And they've figured out God doesn't exist because black box theory and right. whatever it is. I love that. I'll tell you where I stumble is I stumbled in the media culture and the hipster culture. Um, and I haven't figured that one out yet. And, and I'm hoping God will help me with that. But I look at this series of things in Paul's life um, and there was the initial Damascus road. He's, you know, hit with blinding light and there's the Lord and he's blinded for three days. And then it's an existing disciple who has to come and, and give him back his sight. And I forget that guy's name, but he didn't want and to do that. Yeah. yeah. And so he did go and Paul's eyesight is restored. But then the moments of, you know, absolute terror in his life, almost drowned three times, right? What was it? Three shipwrecks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love, I love the poignancy of him not participating in, but watching Stephen be stoned yeah. to death. Well, he held the coats. It's a, okay. So he's holding on to the, Hey, you guys he go instigated. Yeah, you go stone the guy to death. I'll hold the coats. And he was a man. Hey, yeah. Wow. We got that guy. And then later the apostle Paul being stoned, beaten, left for dead. Mm-hmm. And he decides to go back. Mm-hmm. And I look at those moments of, he could have said, Hey, I'm done. Mm-hmm. Right. No way. But he goes back and he goes back and he goes back all the way into prison, all the way chained into a wall. But he's still the brilliant Pharisee of all Pharisees. He still knew the law. He could argue the law with people. He still had that zeal. He was still changed. So is Jim the wrestler gone? Because I would be curious to know what it's like to never have an instinct to strike a guy again. Because I I, want to experience that. So is Jim the wrestler gone? No. You know, um... I think I wrestle for different things now. Yeah. You know, wrestling is one of the only biblical sports. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that leads to another moment where, you know, my dad's like, hey, Jim, yeah. you need to start serving the Lord somewhere in the church. And I'm like, well, what do I have to offer the church? I know I beat people up, but the church seems to already have that yeah. one down with their words, right? So what am I? He goes, no, no, no. Everything you've learned, wrestling, um, sports, coaching, all those things are actually biblical. There's, yeah. You could find scripture to support what a good coach looks like. And you have learned things that God saved you. You were saved by grace through faith, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. You're saved by grace through faith. That none of yourselves is a gift of God. And then he goes on to say, um, he says, and, and you're renewed or you're God's masterpiece in Christ Jesus for good works, which God planned for you to do before time began. He knew us in advance, knew we would choose him. And he, and he wanted to save us for something. Part of that masterpiece work is to even take the, the mistakes I've made. Like I'm an alcoholic, right? And I thought, well, that's three strikes, you're out. Yeah. No, God allowed me, didn't cause me to sin, allowed me to go through some things that I now understand 
that are totally usable to a specific mission field. This is what I say to you, you know, um, God gave you gifts and abilities that uh, intensity, brilliance, um, your ability to communicate, and even your faults, things, the mistakes that you've made that you understand, things that have been done to you, so that God can take all those experiences and use those things on your personal mission field that he shaped you for. Um, and, and the toughness and the things that you've learned, all that God can now renew. God works out all things for good for those who love God are called according to his purpose. Even the past mistakes and, the, and, and going, no, no, no. Okay, you know, for the, the child who's been abused, right? Uh, or lied to, um, they understand something now. God saved them from something, gave them a new identity. You know, they're born again. And, 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 and if, if they're a spiritual family, somebody will walk them through out of that old identity. I'm this, I'm that. No, in Christ, you're this and you're that. And these things, now, now there's a place to redeem these things that have happened to you. That, that it, so that you can understand others and you can show them that no matter where you are, God can change your life and make you into something else. So that intensity, that drive it, that, that uh, I have, um, that, that drove me. I mean, you, there's got to be some broken stuff in me to be a wrestler because, you know, the pain you go through, not eating, drinking, all that stuff, you know, it's, you got to be that, that drive, God's shaped it. And now I'm wrestling something else. But still, though, uh, my old man, my sinful nature is still there. And there are times where rather than I want to, because I have compassion for you yeah. uh, and I want to see God shape you, uh, but I see you're using your abilities to draw other people away. I'd like to see you come to know Jesus, but because you're driving other people away, I actually want to strangle you. And I actually could. <laughs> yeah. You see what I'm, I'm saying? And, and I'm like, whoa, whoa Lord, yeah. that's not what you want. Yeah. That's not how it works. And Give me the strength to be, to take these abilities I have and use them for you. And it, it's a constant battle. I mean, yeah. Paul himself says in Romans 7, that which I wish to do, I don't. That which I hate to do, I keep on doing. What a re- I don't even understand myself. What a wretched man I am. Who can save me from this body of death? Yeah. Who can shape and rechange me and give me a future? Thanks be to Jesus Christ, right? Yeah. My Lord. And so I'm, I'm grateful that I have people that have walked me through the process. And, and you don't just get walked through a process till now. You're, you could do it yourself and help somebody else. Yeah. The church is about a group of people that walks together forever. You don't, you don't walk with somebody as a disciple until you're mature. And now you're the disciple maker. You don't need anybody to walk with you. Yeah. No, I need people still in my life because I get up in the morning some days and it's like when I turn on my computer, there's a default screen. Yeah. That default screen is Jim, Jim's old way, Jim's way of thinking. I have to, by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the power of the word of God, and by the people in my life that are there to encourage me, admonish me, call me on the carpet at times, they help me remember that's the old Jim. I'm putting that aside to live a new life. And, and yes, I've grown a lot, but I can fall back. My flesh is right where I left it. If I decide to live in it, I'm good at that. I could take that back on. Yeah. Um, which is why Jesus says, deny yourself daily and take up your cross. Because when I wake up, there's my default screen. I need God's word, God's spirit, God's people to continue on. I was never supposed to do this alone, ever. That was never the church. Yeah. So I want to wrap this up with this, this theory that I have. That I think the enemy has infected churches. 
And I think that, and I'll speak specifically of a lot of West Coast churches where there is this light gospel, um, but the gospel is everybody's okay. And if we'll just accept everybody. God is love. Yeah. God is love. One love. Uh, everybody's okay. Um, then there's also this pain-free that, that, hey, you're here. We're going to make life pain-free. You're an alcoholic. Well, welcome. You're an alcoholic, right? You practice homosexuality. Well, welcome, right? That's, that's who you are. And, and you're confused about your gender and just be nice about whatever it is. Right. Right. And, and there are, you know, West coast churches where, okay, so you steal, well then live in our parking lot mm-hmm. and you take drugs. Well then take them in our parking lot and you're trafficking people in sex. Well, let's do that in our parking lot. And it's almost this inverse of true Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think about the people who are welcome to those churches and they're growing, right? I mean, it, and then on the other side of the equation, truly biblical disciple-making churches are growing. I mean, real life is evidence of that and churches that are, you know, trying to be different from the world. So if you were to sit down with someone and they're just starting to tip their toe in and, and they're going to go to one of these, you know, pretend churches, um, is your message, hey, come to the real Jesus and have a struggle. Uh, and have a continuing series of learnings that, you know, aren't going to make life easy. Because I think you know, Jesus didn't come and say, hey, didn't, he, he didn't say, hey, this is all going to be perfect and there's going to be no more pain. Right. And was it 11 of the 12 apostles ended up in yeah, pretty no, bad deaths, yeah, right? Pretty right. painful circumstances. Um, I think the church, the true church, Christ's true church is, is going to be targeted and is going to be abused. Um, that's kind of a hard sell, right? Versus, hey, you know what? Whoever you are, you're perfect. And by the way, hey, if you're a Muslim or you're a Jew, right? Fantastic. We all believe the same thing. So it's easy. So, I mean, Russell, how do you sell against that? Well, I would say this. I, I think that's a misnomer that, that what I would call easy believism or everything kept goes, churches are growing. The mainline denomination churches are dying. Churches that do that are dying. Now, some of the evangelical churches, uh, by the way, they're dying because when everything goes, people get hurt. Every rule God ever gave us is for the protection of ourselves and others. It, it, you, you let everything go. People run over each other. My truth is my truth. Your truth is your truth. You can't live that way. It's chaos. And people won't do it long. Um, when you look at churches that are kind of the easy believism but have the right doctrine churches, um, they, they put on a show and everybody puts on their faces and, you know, they want to be entertained and they're consumerism churches. And, but you never really get to know anybody because that's not how they're built. So therefore, nobody gets to see or have to experience running over each other mm-hmm. because they never have any intention of being together other than just a show they visit. Right. So those churches may grow for a while until things get tough and then they have no relationship and they can't survive. You need relationship to survive. But put people together who are broken and not good at relationship, then relationship becomes even more painful and it becomes more isolated. If you're going to be a disciple-making church, then first of all, you have to preach the gospel, which is surrender. Be saved and surrender to the Lord Jesus. You have to have discipleship where people start in relationship to be taught the truth and how to apply it regularly uh, in your life, practically in every area of your life. And as people become more like Christ in relationship, two things happen. Not only do I grow in my understanding of the word, 
But I also have accountability and, and, you know, just like bad company corrupts good morals, good company can change you. You start to experience life and love and it becomes, uh, you become changed in your life. And there are real changes made as people call you on it in love, as people model for you what it's supposed to look like. Real relationship produces a changed life, but it also produces the ability to survive struggle. Okay, so Ecclesiastes 4 says, there was a man who was all alone. He neither had neither friend nor brother. And he says, for whom am I toiling? What good is my wealth? So he's wealthy and he has a lot of work. And he's like, meaningless, meaningless. This is mean. What a miserable business. So he's got money. He's got wealth. He has no relationship. And then Solomon says, but two are better than one because there is a better return for their labor. And then he says, but if one falls down and he's alone, there's nobody to help him up. But what woe to that man? But if, but if there's two, right? Now they can help each other up. If an enemy comes against one, he can't defend himself, but two can defend themselves. If one gets cold in the middle of the night in the desert, they, they freeze. But when they come together, there's warmth, right? And then he says, but three are better than two. A lot of people want to use that passage as a marriage passage. It's not. It's a relationship passage. When you walk with Jesus, there is a battle. There is cold. There is struggle. But together in relationship, we're able to survive the battle. We're able to survive the struggle. Yeah. These Christians right now who are going to a church, but not really in a church, who have some right ideas, but aren't actually living in life with other believers in the family of God, the kingdom of God, as the struggle comes, they'll drop off. They'll, they'll give in to the culture. They'll fail. They'll struggle. No one will help them up. And, they're, and I see this happening everywhere. But as the war is coming, we can see it now more than ever. I'm calling people back to, and, and you're calling people that people, Bible believing churches are saying it's time to follow Jesus and his commands and his way of living so that we can stand under the pressure of the coming um, struggles and trials, the, the false teaching, the indoctrination. The world is a tough place. If our kids don't have relational ropes that hold them fast, if our people aren't doing this together and they're fighting one-on-one battles with the devil, that is a, an isolated, that is a losing battle in your head and in your life. What we've got to do is go, we're going to get back to the faith once for all delivered to the saints, which included teaching and lifestyle. Then we're able to stand against these false teachers and these liars and deceivers. And, and even when we lose our job because we won't give in to gender stuff or, or they shut down our church building, you know, because we're not a 501c3 anymore, whatever they're going to do. I told our 400 leaders today. We're in disciple-making groups doing life together, and we're set up this way where we want to meet together. We should meet together in large groups. Large groups and large numbers of people can have more power in some ways than small numbers. But it's not just that. It's doing life together so that if they shut down this other thing, we're ready to go. We're doing life in the truth, in a lifestyle that supports the truth. We can take ground. We can withstand anything, and we'll take ground from the enemy because we have something they don't have. Yeah, yeah. We have a life in Christ as God designed it. That's what I'm hoping for. Yeah. And I think that's a great way, you know, to, to look at the building versus the church. Right. Right. We're sitting here on your campus. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not your campus, but it's the campus that the mm-hmm. Lord has built for you. Um, and I would say this, Jim, as, you know, a guy you're discipling. All right. So I'll let you know in some ways you've discipled me. Number one, kingdom think. So if I'm going to talk to people in the pretend church, and when I say they're growing, by the way, I'm talking in cities like Seattle, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
it, they're political groups, right. right? And so I would say this, you've turned me on to the kingdom thinking. So I might talk to some of those people and say, you're right, right? You can have this easy setup right now where you never need to think, you never need to challenge yourself. You don't need to challenge anyone else. Um, and you are not going to get out of the ultimate challenge. Ultimately, there is forever. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, you can be with the king. You can be where there actually is no pain, mm -hmm. where there actually is love, and you're going to know everybody uh, in that loving way. Or you can continue with the deceiver, right? And so to me, that's kingdom thinking. Thinking as well that we are not of this world, right? This isn't our home. We're visitors. I love that notion. But I go back to the Apostle Paul, something he said that I thought was which is so characteristically brilliant. It was like a deal closer. Mm. Um, and I'm thinking it's Acts 7, I'm paraphrasing, but he says, um, to, to the, speaking to a Jewish audience, I think, you know, the law dies when you die, mm. right? So if, if you die, hey, your wife can go remarry, right? right? But she's not an adulteress. Look at that, right? The law's dead. You died, the law's dead. Um, we, though, have died with Christ. We have risen with Christ. This covenant doesn't die. This covenant continues. Because to me, the heart of these pretend churches is avoidance. It's avoidance of the hard thing. And there are such hard conversations to have with people. I'm thinking right now of people I love who are gay. And Jim, if they came in this room, right? If I got a phone call right now and someone said, this person needs a kidney, I'd say, Jim, I got to go. I got to go give someone a kidney. Right. And I would do it in two seconds. And if they needed two of them, I'd give them two. Mm. But we have these hard conversations that we have to have. And I wonder, just as a closing question, um, overall, has the American Christian church, has it avoided hard conversations? Has it avoided saying to well, people? Okay. Great yeah. question. I would say this. Not always have they avoided the conversation. Yeah. But the conversation came across as rude and crass and unloving because they hadn't done the hard work of relationship first and love first that opened the door to the conversation. What's that mean? My dad, I was living an ungodly lifestyle. Yeah. And he was able to have the conversation with me about my lifestyle mm -hmm. because of how much he had loved me. Standing out on the corner or in a pulpit, preaching and screaming and doing all those things does not do the pre-work of earning the right to be heard. See, again, I, it, some places are like, let's just all be in relationship and let's don't say hard things. Right. Right. I'm not for that either. Right. Right. But there's both and. Jesus was filled with grace and truth. Jesus went, you know, went to Matthew's house. Right. He went to the, he went to the well and he, and he, and he talked to a woman that, that nobody would have talked to if they were a Jew. Nobody in our own people group would talk to her. She was there in the middle of the day. Women don't get in that culture, go to get water in the middle of the day. This is a, 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 a person who met them where they were with the intention of leading them to something else. Discipleship is not just once you come to know Christ, I'll walk you through. Discipleship is people being in relationship with people as best they can, loving on people so that people start going, why are you loving me? Well, funny you should ask. Why are you caring about me? Funny you should ask. Mm -hmm. But I care about you, not just to point you to, to salvation, but I'm told to teach you to obey all that Jesus commanded because everything he commanded is actually loving too. To say to a gay person, mm -hmm. Jesus, your, your sin's no different than mine. Uh, it Maybe you have different appetites that you give into. We've all fallen short. Mm -hmm. God loves you. 
He'll take you as you are, but you have to surrender to him to take you where he knows what, you know, where he wants to take you. He designed you for a purpose. What you're doing right now is hurting you physically. It isn't God's design any more than, than sex outside of marriage for a teenager is. You're taking something that God made sacred and you're misusing it and it always has consequences. Now, I'm not here to judge you because you're worse than I am. No, I did the same thing and I still struggle with the same thing. But love is to say every command that God gave you and the commands that I would want to teach you about and help you with uh, is based in love. He loves you this much to tell you the truth. And I'm out on a, I'm a hunter, so I'm out in the woods and I'm lost and I don't know where I am. If somebody came walking up to me and said, hey, are you lost? A lot of people, you know, men were like, no, I'm not. I'll, I'll figure it out. You know, yeah. Okay. But no, yeah. okay. Yes. I, let's say I admit I'm lost. Yeah. And he says, well, here's the deal. See where you need to go is right up there, right? You, you, you took the wrong trail yeah. in the wrong spot and you need to go right up there. I don't go, hey, don't tell me what to do. Yeah. You're limiting my horizons. I'm in this place where I'm like, God, I need help. Show me the right way. And I've come down, you know, in, in hunting, if you were to tell me you got to go back up that hill you came down, going down a hill is, is easier than going up. Yeah. But if that's the way to find salvation, going up that hill, yeah. then that's the way I need to go. Now, here's the problem. I'm, if that guy really cares about me, he's not just saying, hey, you need to climb up that hill over there because you're lost. He, he goes, you know what? I'll help you climb because a lot of things I'm going to ask you to do. I don't know that you have the strength to do. You've been out here a long time. You're, you're dehydrated. You're in pain. You haven't eaten. So I'm not just going to point you. And next week, I'll point you to somebody else. No, it's a lifestyle where I will help walk you. You're living in this place where, where you, you, know, you, you had sex outside of marriage. You're going to have a baby, but you don't have anything. And the quick, easy answer is I'll give you some money to go have an abortion. No, that's, that's murder. Don't have an abortion. But let me help you walk out some of the circumstances that you're in right now as a fellow brother and sister. That's love. And I'm not judging you because in my past, I've got all kinds of stuff and I'm certainly not perfect now, but I've grown. Discipleship is the process of meeting people where they're at and helping them walk out God's plan for their life, which means going through the valley of the shadow of death with them that they've created for themselves. Not trying to help them escape the consequences, but walking through the consequences with them so that they get to the other side to where they're now being used by God in this giftings. That, that girl who had sex outside of marriage, there's a lot of people having sex outside of marriage. There's a lot of people that had to make heart choices, or maybe they even had an abortion and now they come in. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was wrong. But you know what? I'd been wrong a thousand times. Let's walk through that together. Let's unpack that. And there are other people that have made this mistake too. And God shaped you for a purpose. We've all made mistakes and done the wrong thing and had to rely upon God's grace, his correction and the consequences and all that. Let's do it together. Yeah. Now, now we're actually making changes in people's lives rather than just, you know, either saying everything's fine. You're good. Just be the way you are. Or you're all wrong. You're all going to hell. With it, without relationship and truth, it leads to the wrong place. It's so beautifully said. Uh, and the walking with people, uh, that's that image of, hey, I'll help you up the hill, right? That, that comes to me really personally. And it, it brings me to this experience with my father. Uh, we were hunting and we were up in the, well, you know, uh, you know, the Blue Mountains. So I was up in the Blue Mountains with him and, and there's this horseshoe. We've been out all day. We didn't, you know, hadn't harvested anything. I could see our camp across this canyon. I could see it. 
I said, Dad, there's our camp. It's right there. Why don't we just walk down the canyon and up the other side? Son, that's a long walk. No, Dad, you're crazy. I'm looking at it. I can look. I, that's your Jeep. I can see it. Right. Well, no, look around here. But that's going to take all day. So finally, my dad said, yeah, you know, you're probably right. I'm probably uh, not healthy enough to do the trip. So you go do it. But leave me some just do do me the solid. Leave me some beans and some coffee. That's all I'm asking. Like when you get there, just make sure I've got some. So I started down and I got like 100 yards down. He goes, remember the first creek is not the sheep creek. So I go walking, come to the first creek. It's certainly not the sheep creek. And then I get down a little further. That's not the sheep creek either. Then I heard it. And then I remember there is a time of year where it's not a creek anymore. <laughs> so then I, I had to find a way to cross. And then it got dark. And then I encountered the cliff, right? The hillside up. And then the rescue shots came out. And I answered, I'm alive, no broken leg. And I got back to camp. I don't know because they didn't have a clock. I know it was very dark. I know there were no beans and no coffee. And I said, where's the beans and coffee? And dad said, no, no, you didn't tell me to leave you any because <laughs> you were going to be here. Like you were going to be here before me. And he, had, I think I had some hot chocolate or something and, and went to bed, but it was this great lesson. And I thought of that recently. I've been working with um, a young man who got out of prison and man, we were working together and I was walking with him and then decided he needed to go his own way. Right. Really trying to bring him to the Lord. He needed to go his own way. And he did. And he disappeared in the Spokane for about three months. And then it's an absconding charge. And then the first time he called me, he was in a halfway house and uh, he was not well. Uh, hey man, can you take me to see my wife? I go, oh, you got married. I will know, but you know, I want to, and I want to have kids and settle down. And you know, I can't do that brother, but you know, I could bring you, I could bring you some food or something. Nah, I got food here, but I really need to see my wife. Mm. I hadn't heard from him in a couple months and I got a call and this is his, his ex-girlfriend, Chris Nitzak. So I got on the phone. He said, Hey, I decided to go back to prison because I'm not good at being out and they're going to pay for me to um, figure out how to earn a living and I'm off drugs and I'm going to commit to this program in here. And he said, I just wanted to know, would it be okay if I called you? once a week from prison. And I said, yes, as long as we can talk about God sometimes. And you know where he's at, Jim? He has a satanic quote Bible on his desk, but the Holy Bible, God's word is under his pillow. And so what really hit me about your walking through is I watched this guy try to push me away, tell me, oh, I'm a Satanist now. Mm -hmm. And I sat there shocked and he showed me his ring, his satanic ring. I said, that's fascinating. Tell me about that. You know what he told me? He said that I just don't like being told what to do. And I told him, yeah, certainly Satan will never tell you what to do until you die. Right? So what was so meaningful to me is that seed you plant, that walking through, it meant enough for him to want to have a phone call with me once a week. So I see in that the face of God. I see in that the least of these, right? So I think there's a lot of reward to be had with this. So I appreciate your time and, and sharing so much with us. Um, there's people in our audience, they're Jesus needers. There's people in this audience who are coming to need Jesus, but there's people out there as well. And they share these emails with me. They're not ready to come to church yet. So 
if you were to close a deal with them real quick on they're leaning, Jim, they want to go to a church. What do you say to those people out there? I believe I'm just not ready to darken the door of a church yet. Well, again, that comes down to a surrender thing, right? Okay. Um, if Jesus tells you to do something, do you do it? And do you actually, and you have to choose because we get our experiences and we think people are going to say to us or the way they're going to see us. Um, those, that's what fills our mind. And the devil always fills us with fear and all those kind of things. And unfortunately, there are churches where that's, that is maybe what you're going to get, right? So you go in and go, okay, I know I need to love the church because Jesus does. I know I need to be here to, 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 to you know, be a part of a family. I know that um, uh, I need to press into this. And, and this church may not be one that wants to do that. There are a lot of those out there, but don't give up. Go to the next one. You know, and 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 be prayerful. Um, think about maybe a Christian friend that you have and ask them, right? Hey, can I go with you? Yeah. Make sure that you're careful. There's a lot of so-called Christian churches out there, yes. Mormon churches, not not Christian churches, or Jehovah Witnesses, not a Christian. You need to go to a biblical uh, a church that that has a historic background of not only truth but lives that truth out in relationship and keep pursuing until you find that one. Don't give up. Okay. Good. Great message. All right. Jim Putnam. Appreciate you. You bet. Appreciate you.